This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and The Athletic's Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's The Athletic's Jesse Temple. Badgers gearing up for a big one on Saturday as they host Iowa for the Heartland Trophy. People call it the pig. It's a pig, right? No, it's a bull. It's a bull, right? <laughs> it's a bronze bull. <laughs> yeah, they play for a pig. Who is it? Mich- Minnesota that play for the pig? I don't know. Either way. Yeah, it's a bronze bull. It doesn't exactly hold a, a ton of the same history that maybe the axe does or the uh, bacon that they played for before that. But still rivalry. Obviously, Wisconsin and Iowa. Wisconsin owns the overall series. Iowa's won two of the last three. They haven't won in Madison since 2015, though. It's going to be a tight one. The the point spread's a little little higher than I thought it would be. Wisconsin favored by, the last I looked, was nine and a half. I think it's been in double digits as well. I mean, the the over-under is barely in double digits. To put the spread in double digits is a little bit much, but uh, we'll pick those games tomorrow night. We're going to be back at Monkson Sun Prairie for Temple and Heilprin. there every Thursday, so stop on by or Find the podcast where you get it or listen on The Zone. It's from 6 to 7 every Thursday. All right, let's get into what I think is probably going to be a rather relatively big storyline for the TV and for a lot of people talking about it come Saturday, and that is Deacon Hill. He is the starting quarterback for Iowa, taking over for the injured Cade McNamara. I know that he spoke this week down in Iowa, and I know that you and Scott Docterman you wrote the story, Scott Document. I'm, I'm assuming provided some of the uh, quotes. But what is, uh, I guess, Deacon Hill's mindset coming into this one, Jesse? Well, what he said is he's trying to treat it like any other game. It was funny because he said we practiced in Camp Randall when I was there, as a obviously as a scout team quarterback. And he said obviously it's going to be a little bit different setting. And he laughed. Uh, I would say so. There's going to be eighty thousand people there rooting against you in a game that, frankly, is probably going to decide the division or certainly go a long way toward deciding the division, given how terrible the rest of the West is. But um, he knows he has to be better, too. I think that's obvious. Look at what he's done so far. He's only completing 37.5% of his passes. Just had an awful start last week against Purdue. And I think maybe it says something about the toughness that Iowa has and obviously the defense that they still managed to win despite Deacon opening that game one for 10 for 13 yards. He did throw a pretty nice touchdown pass to tight end Eric all. And now Deacon's got to go do it in the the toughest environment. I think for him uh, of his young career. I know that uh, some players and listening to them talk about Deacon yesterday, some of the Wisconsin players talking about him and they said, I think it was Hunter Wolder said he doesn't really, get too high. doesn't get too low. He's, he's kind of like a mellow guy, but he's got a big time arm, obviously that can challenge you whenever it is. I thought, and I know it was maybe, um, I think it was Colton Bartholomew actually talked to, to Deacon and, and talked about his, how he was a little uh, fidgety with, or his feet weren't very good on Saturday against Purdue. I kind of felt like that's like the mechanics and his inability just to get those down is as big of an issue as, as anything for his accuracy. He's look, he has the biggest arm of almost any quarterback we've ever seen at Wisconsin. I know that Iowa's had some some pretty big arms down there. Nate Stanley obviously sticks out. But it's always the mechanics and always the feet and just the little things because accuracy can be taught, 
I just don't know if he's going to learn it <laughs> in time for Saturday in what is going to be probably some pretty bad weather conditions. But that big arm should help in that situation. Yeah, I think so. It's I, the the big arm has never been the question. We know this, and uh, I mentioned in the story that the, remember back in bull prep of December 2021, how everyone was kind of buzzing about Deacon because he had finally gotten his chance to run Wisconsin's offense. That's a lot of the times what young quarterbacks, uh, they're the scout team quarterback. So they're, they're running the other stuff, other teams and bull prep gives you a chance as a young guy to get more opportunities while some of the veterans rest. Um, and he had this ridiculous throw. It's actually on the film that he put out and he put this out on Twitter when he was looking for a new home after transferring from Wisconsin, but he threw off his back foot with a defensive lineman coming down on him. And he dropped a bomb 50 yards down the field to Marcus Allen for a touchdown pass. And and people were just kind of going nuts about it. Um, Again, that's everything that we've seen and, and was written about even when he was coming to Wisconsin, but with him, it's it's all the other things. It's learning the complexities of being a college quarterback. I remember talking to him when he was a freshman about how when he was in high school, he played a lot of cover two and, and cover three defenses. It was pretty simple. And then when you get to Wisconsin, they're mixing it up with Jim Leonard's defense and doing a lot of things that he hadn't seen before. You've got to make quarterback checks at the line of scrimmage, and you've certainly got to have some touch on your passes. And I had a chance to talk to Deacon's high school coach, who's very close with him. Um, is, he went to Santa Barbara High School in California, and considers the, the coach said he considers Deacon to be like his son. So they talk regularly, and even his high school coach admitted he's not really ready right now. Um, and I think that's I, it's hard to disagree when you consider the path that he's taken here. He only played three games during his senior season in high school because it was pushed to the spring due to the pandemic. Then he red shirts as a true freshman at Wisconsin. Then he plays all of three snaps last season before entering the portal. And all of a sudden he's thrust into being a big 10 starting quarterback when he was supposed to just be a backup and maybe play sparingly and build your confidence that way. So it's going to be quite a challenge on Saturday. I would say that a lot of people have taken shots at Wisconsin's quarterback room over the year, but or over the years, I should say that Iowa quarterback room right now. I mean, the fact that you go from Cade McNamara, who, you know, led Michigan to the college football playoff and behind him is a guy that would have been wearing Wisconsin depth chart right now, fourth at best, at best right now. Like that's the type of quarterback room I was dealing with. He's not ready. It's unfair. And yet he's in this situation and he's got to come up and play a big time game. Uh, to me, it's not so much about him making great throws. It's about him not making the horrible throw because I th- the game's going to be tight unless either one of these teams turns the ball over or there's a special teams touchdown. Like I don't expect either of the one of these offenses to to have like huge days on Saturday, especially with the weather that is probably not going to be conducive to that. But he just can't make the horrible play. He can't just make the horrible mistake. And quite honestly, I don't think we saw a ton of that at Wisconsin. There wasn't a ton of interceptions. It was just a ton of missed passes. Yeah, it's because he's <laughs> he throws everything he's 100 miles an hour. I've mentioned the hilarious uh, lead to the the rival story on the Iowa side after the last game yeah. that he was he was throwing it like Ricky Vaughn in Major League before he put his glasses on. Um, that's kind of what it was. Now he's had a couple games to try and settle down. Obviously, didn't know two weeks ago against Michigan State that he was going to end up being uh, a 
the guy at quarterback is McNamara suffered a torn ACL, I think late in that or in the first quarter. So, so Deacon got thrown in there. Now he's had one career start and Iowa coach Kirk Ferentz even talked about all that inexperience and described this as quote, kind of his maiden voyage end quote. And, and he talked about how the staff needs to have patience with Deacon. So it's kind of, <laughs> I mean, one of the things that Ferentz said was he's not a, like he's hardly a grizzled veteran, but at least he's done it. And we'll see how that goes. That's basically where I was at with his quarterback position. All right, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> and that's not exactly ideal when you're getting into the heart of Big Ten play. I mean, but that's been the case for Iowa's offense for the last few years, hasn't it? Let's just let's just see how it goes. It's probably not going to be pretty. It's probably going to be ugly. And that's probably what Saturday is going to look like unless he all of a sudden finds the magic touch and <clears throat> his accuracy. I don't envision it happening on Saturday, but would be quite the story if it did. I think for Wisconsin offensively or defensively, what do you focus on when it comes to Iowa? Is it stopping the runs? Is it stopping Eric all? Like what, where do you put your focus to me for me? And I'll let you answer. It has to be just stopping the run. Purdue didn't stop the run well enough. And it allowed some of the play action stuff to work even better with Eric all. If you stop the run against Iowa, it's going to be a long day. There's just no way in my mind that Deacon Hill in his in this spot right here, despite him being a Big Ten starting quarterback like I predicted, he mm. is just not going to get it done. I It's absolutely stopping the run. And this is another thing that his high school coach was talking about, that he he just needs to go in, manage the game, and make the right decisions. And, and his coach said, if you expect him to throw 30 times, that's not what they're looking to do, especially in that offense. It's run the football and they'll be fine. You, It's kind of quintessential Wisconsin football where you've got to run the ball to set up the pass and take your shots occasionally. But it all starts with stopping the run and making and in the throwing opportunities, make Deacon uncomfortable, try and flush him out of the pocket. He's far from a runner. And we saw what happened last week just. It's mind-boggling to think that Iowa won that game against Purdue without a wide receiver catching a single pass, uh, and obviously Deacon only completing six of them, which tied for the fewest completions by an Iowa quarterback in a game since 2007. So it's it got to be stop the run first. But here's the thing, Jeff. Even if you stop the run, even if you stop their offense, they'll find other ways to beat you. It's you know, just the way that Iowa is. Do you know how many yards that Wisconsin had on the, or uh, gave up on the ground last last year to Iowa? Iowa ran it 45 times. How many yards do you think they had? Uh, um, I can't remember anything that happens ever. I'll say uh, 111. 52. They ran it 45 times for 52 yards. Is that good? No, That's I say, not, is that bad? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to know uh, what Spencer Petrus threw for? He threw 14 times, or should say he had 14 completions. They went for 94 yards. It just was their their longest play was a 19-yard yard run by Gavin Williams. They had only other two other plays that went over 10 yards, and they won by 14. And why did they win by 14? Because their defense scored and their special teams was better than Wisconsin's. And Wisconsin's offense did nothing for the most part outside of a deep throw from Graham to uh, Keontes Lewis playing. Uh, now, this... Iowa defense is not on last year's level. They're not like this is kind of like Wisconsin 2022 going to or 2021 going into 2022. Like the 21 defense was just remarkable and insanely good. Still pretty good last year, but it wasn't on that level. Iowa's kind of like that, but they may be better than Wisconsin's defense from last year. 
But ha, I mean, I again, you're not going to, I don't think you're losing this game because of Deacon Hill. You're, or you're losing this game if you lose it yourself by throwing the ball away, turning it over, dropping the ball on the ground, or doing something special teams-wise to kill yourself. Even with the changes that Wisconsin has made offensively and all the conversation for uh, 11 months now, 10 months, uh, about the transition to the air raid, this is still going to be a game uh, that I think looks exactly like all the other Iowa-Wisconsin games where it comes down to the little things where I was not going to give you a ton of opportunities to make big plays. And it does come down to all three phases, the the offense, defense, special teams. Iowa makes this tough. It seems like every year. Um, I, I mean, look at what the offense is this year for the Hawkeyes. Do they, this, my thought is like, do they have any business being five and one and no uh, having a chance to win the big 10 West? No, but this is what Iowa does. It is. It's what I would, I thought it was, Interesting. I know that maybe they're looking for something more out of Luke Fickle and on Monday talking about why is Iowa successful. It's because, and it's the same, it was almost probably word for word what people were saying about Wisconsin for so long is they just know who they are. They do what they do because they, and they know who they are and that's winning football. And you can put all the statistics all you want all over the place. It doesn't matter. The only statistic that matters is in the end is the win or the loss. And that is Iowa football at this point. That said, and again, Wisconsin has not hit the ground running offensively, I think, the way that a lot of people were hoping it was going to. I remember having this conversation with you before the season, and I don't know if it'll change after this year. Again, there's still half the season to go. But if Wisconsin's offense all of a sudden maybe figures something out here and they start putting up the points and the yards that a lot of people were expecting to coming in, and you know, I don't know if it's that's actually going to happen because the defenses that they're playing are taking a step up here. But if it does... At some point, does Iowa in this offseason have to be like, we're the only team in the country that's doing this or in the, in this Big Ten that's doing this, and now we're adding four teams that are certainly not doing this from the West Coast? Do they have to make a change after this season? And I think if it was anybody other than Kirk Ferentz making that call, it would be yes. But after what I've seen this year, I just don't expect it to happen. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, most people would ask the question, wouldn't you have made a change to your offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach? And we know the answer. <laughs> Ryan yeah. Ferentz is still in charge, and they have this ridiculous 25-point offensive, <laughs> 25 points per game on offense that could potentially could save your job, which is not going to happen this year, um, even though it's not a hard and fast, I don't think. It's not. But it's ridiculous that it was even brought public, that, that somebody came up with it. So, no, yeah. I don't anticipating it changing. They, they are who they are. They have had a lot of success because of that identity. And why is Wisconsin changing, in some regards, part of its identity? There's a staff overhaul. Previous head coach got fired. So, Ferentz has been there since 1999. He's kind of the dean of college football coaches, and I don't anticipate significant changes again uh, it's going to be a new ad right i think they have an interim ad right now i think it's beth gets their interim ad right now i think they're going to have a, they'll have a new one here at some point and maybe that'll change but i highly doubt it when you've been there for that long but a new face can can change things doesn't it i mean without chris mcintosh coming in is paul chris still there is barry alvarez firing paul chris after a two and three start Ah, uh, probably not. No, no, no. So a new face may change that. 
But a new, I mean, it's it's not going to be a new face at offensive coordinator, and it's just insane to me that you keep on going about that. As bad as, or as not as explosive as Wisconsin wants to be this year, or, ha- or as had wanted to be, or was expected to be, they're still averaging ten points more per game than Iowa is, and obviously giving up more points than Iowa does defensively. But I, it just has to be so maddening for for fans to continue to have to watch on a yearly basis. At least Wisconsin has made the effort to try to try and be a different team offensively and Iowa has not and uh, and maybe until there's a change at the top of the uh, structure there won't be but again they've as you said they're five and one and that's all that matters now they're going to play better their their schedule isn't great they already they already lost their one true hard crossover game against Penn State losing their 31 to nothing this is their probably their second toughest game and if they beat Wisconsin on Saturday I think is it easy to say that they are not just the front runners, but it's almost a, a guarantee that they end up winning it, the West? No, I'm not going to go that far. Okay, all right. I think I think their offense is mediocre to bad enough that they could potentially lose a game that you would say they shouldn't lose. Now, if Iowa wins, they're sitting there at three and one in the Big Ten, and Wisconsin is two and one, and still has to play that game against Ohio State among others. So Iowa would hold the tiebreaker, but. Let's just be real. This is these are the only two teams that I think have a realistic chance to to win the West based on everything that we've seen. There's no other team that has a winning record <laughs> in the division. Minnesota yeah. blew a 21 point lead after three quarters to Northwestern. We've seen Nebraska, seen Northwestern. We saw Purdue in person. So it's hard to have any faith in any other team. But I think. It's a bigger deal if Wisconsin wins this bad boy because then the Badgers are sitting at 3-0 and in the Big Ten. I was 2-2, and and every team in the division other than Wisconsin has at least two losses. So I feel like it's more of a slam dunk if Wisconsin wins this thing. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Before we move on, I, I wanted to ask you about your confidence in Wisconsin's run defense against Iowa. Are you feeling like after what you saw last week, confident that that's going to carry over to to this week yeah i think so um i mean i mentioned on the previous show they obviously played a heck of a lot less of their dollar defense which is understandable because there um you know wasn't a whole lot of good quarterback play against rutgers in terms of passing the ball down the field and i would imagine it would probably be something similar this week i mean i asked luke fickle a question about this about kind of the the defensive changes that they've made or the challenges they faced during the season. And, and he sort of alluded to the fact that they have had to adapt as the season has gone on, even since the opener, and maybe do some things that the guys were used to previously. Now, I don't know the specifics on that, but it seems like perhaps Wisconsin is getting back to some of the things that helped it be successful previously. So I think I think they'll be okay. And what about the explosive plays on Wisconsin side of things? They have been almost, I don't say non-existent, but the air raid offense, the the passing side of the air raid offense that Phil Longo installed was explosive at North Carolina. This one has not been. I don't know if it's going to change this week. Iowa allowing the fewest plays of any team in the country uh, of 20 or more yards. They've given up just nine of them. Uh, for comparison's sake, Wisconsin's given up 17. But it just... It doesn't feel like it, this is going to be the week, but at some point this season, can we expect a more explosive Wisconsin offense in the passing game? I would think so. Um, 
But again, the more these games stack up, is what is that line? You you are who you are. Who you are. Who you are. <laughs> 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 um, I don't know. Like it's there. We talked before. There are times where the receivers are open and Mordecai throws it just off, or other times where he puts it on a guy and they can't hang on to it. But I think Phil Longo is going to continue to take those shots. But what we've seen is a lot of those shorter throws to try and move the chains. Yeah. Again, very, I I guess we can say it's still early in the evolution of what the offense is going to look like at Wisconsin. And maybe it's going to take another year to get the type of players, exact type of players that Phil Longo wants to be out there. Otherwise you just have to say, and also I think it's worthwhile to note that Luke Fickle said that uh, they have been calling the plays, some of those plays down the field, and Tanner Mordecai has decided not to throw the ball down the field. How oh. much of that, how much, how much has that played into it, you think? Oh, it's got to play everything into it. <laughs> Maybe even more. Um, and there's something to be said for that. You don't want to put your team in a bad position if you don't feel like your receiver can win or you're not going to get the ball where it needs to go. Live to fight another play. That type of decision making is going to be crucial in a game like this against Iowa. So I I think Mordecai, even though again the numbers aren't tremendous in the passing game, he's been a really good decision maker for Wisconsin this season. And that has stood out to me. Yeah. And his his legs, like you go back to last year's Iowa game and the pressure that Graham Mertz faced, uh, it felt like there was a guy in his lap quite a bit and quite very early. I this this game and it yeah. This is people are giving me like stop talking about old games, but this it kind of reminds me, kind of reminds me of back in 2006. John Stockwell got hurt late in the 2006 season. He was more of a stationary quarterback, right? Like he wasn't, he was more of a pocket passer, wasn't going to run around too much. He got hurt right before the season finale against Iowa. And instead of him playing, they put in Tyler Donovan. Tyler Donovan, a much more elusive and uh, mobile quarterback than John Stocko. And it proved to be huge because Wisconsin's offensive line could not hold up against Iowa's defensive line and getting after the quarterback, but his ability to extend plays and get out and move around totally flipped the uh, field in Wisconsin's favor in that respect. It feels like Tanner Mordecai could do that. Now Hudson card didn't have as much success last week doing that, but it's a possibility. I think for Tanner Mordecai that Wisconsin has not had in the past for sure. Well, absolutely. I, I wrote about this earlier in the week, but Mord- Mordecai is the most mobile quarterback Wisconsin's had since Tanner McAvoy and the best combination of thrower and passer, or excuse me, thrower and runner since Russell Wilson in 2011. So Wisconsin just hasn't had quarterbacks quite like this in recent history. They haven't. Um, all right. So the the rivalry itself, where would you put it? Would you put it above Minnesota and Wisconsin? Would you put it below? Where where is it? Where does it sit on the uh, the rivalry scale for the Badgers? Do you think it's above or beyond uh, above or below? Well, I think there are two different answers to this. Um, <laughs> in terms of well, uh, right in terms of what it means to people around here and what it means to players, uh, uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota takes the cake every year. There's so much history; they actually don't like each other. But in terms of significance for what it means over the course of a season, it's not even close. I know that in 2019, Wisconsin and Minnesota played in the regular season finale and the winner would go to the the conference championship. And and certainly under P.J. Fleck, the Gophers have been a better team and those games have mattered. But Iowa and Wisconsin are usually the teams 
that end up representing the Big Ten West, or they have it since this divisional split happened a decade ago. So that's how I look at it in terms of what it means for the season. This game's more significant. I, w- I would agree, and yet they've met several times where the Big Ten West has been aligned. I'm, talk- I'm talking about Wisconsin and, and Minnesota. Uh, 20, uh, I want to say 2014 mm-hmm. was, was it was on the line. 2016, it was at least on the line for Wisconsin. So it th- that game, and obviously 2019, as you mentioned, and what? 2021. 2021. Yeah. So like it just I think that has more to do with the game being the final game of the year. Yes, probably, 100%. Probably, probably has a little bit to do with that. If if you're to ask somebody who they'd rather be, I think at this point, because of what Minnesota has done of late, you would probably say Minnesota. But when you've won 14 straight, or you know whatever you know when it was 14 straight, then it's like yeah, the Iowa game means more. I think it it, it ebbs and flows based on the other teams and how the last few years have gone. At least at least for me, at least for me. And it's also I know a lot of people I think respect. Kirk Ferentz, would you agree with that? I think people respect Kirk Ferentz to an extent more so than they maybe respect PJ Fleck. Who do you, who, who do you, who do you, who do you think has more respect among people? Is it PJ Fleck or is it Kirk Ferentz? <laughs> well, I know what the answer is for you. Obviously, Fleck and his personality can rub people the wrong way, and and Ferentz is. This is just—it's not even close to answer. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I laughed when I asked it because it's ridiculous. It's not. So I think that I think that plays a role as well. And the idea that Wisconsin and Iowa have been a similar program for so long that there's there's a little bit maybe more respect there than there is for Minnesota, just because of how bad Minnesota was for such a long time. But that's uh, either way. I thought it was interesting to note that this week, or I should say uh, during fall camp, they had. Former players come in and talk. They like it would have rivalry nights, and they'd had former players come in and talk. Now some of them are already here. Uh, Alec James, I believe, was one of them to talk about not just Iowa rivalry, but also the Minnesota rivalry and, and learn about it because this coaching staff doesn't know a ton about it, right? I mean, Luke Fickle grew up obviously in the Big Ten, but he doesn't know a lot about Iowa, Wisconsin. I thought it was kind of funny when Jim Polzine was asking him about what he learned about the rivalry. And I, I don't think he actually had learned anything about the rivalry other than it has a trophy. That's pretty heavy. Uh, but he knows, but he knows that it's, it's important and he knows that uh, this, this is vital. And so bringing in former guys, former players, I think it was uh, Chris Orr and who else? Uh, Bo Allen. And I think Melvin Gordon sent in a video as well. I think that's important. And it's, it kind of reminds me of some of the ways that Gary Anderson kind of had to learn and, um, his staff had to learn about the importance of these these games. Yeah, it's what he talked about specifically was how he grew up more of a fan of wrestling, seventh, eighth grade. And he talked about how he would go to remembers going to, to Iowa and seeing the campus then not as a football recruit, but just because of his love of wrestling. And Iowa has been a traditional powerhouse in that sport. Um, so he understands Iowa from that perspective, but also. He was at Ohio State, and he he knows the type of program that Iowa runs. And, and he we see every week that the, the program will release videos of him talking to the team, and it's kind of an early week message going into a game that there is a certain level of, of toughness that you have to have in this matchup, and he's trying to instill those values. But you can't really know exactly what these games are like until you're actually in them on the sideline as the coach. But certainly a lot of the guys who have been a part of him are going to be leading the charge and and they all know how important this is. And all you have to do is look at the standings to see what the significance is. 
And again, when there's a trophy on the line, that makes a, a big difference too. You have a favorite memory of uh, covering this robbery or a, or a favorite moment or a moment that sticks out to you? Dude, I already told you I couldn't remember what happened in last year's game where I guessed Iowa ran for 111 yards. So if you really want to ask me this, I'm going to have to Google Wisconsin-Iowa football series and then go back and look at the scores for the last 12 seasons. Uh, all right. Well, Wisconsin. I mean, all right. Well, Wisconsin. Oops. Well, since since you uh, arrived, which is 2011, Wisconsin beat them in 2013 down there. James White had a big game. 2014 was a hell of a game back and forth. I believe it was the first night that Wisconsin broke out their white face mask to go along with their uh, all white uniforms. Melvin Gordon had a long, long run. It was in that that group of games where it went Nebraska, <laughs> Iowa, Minnesota to close out the 2014 season. Melvin had over 200 yards, but Joel Stave with the run late in that game yes. to to seal the first down, to get the first down and uh, seal the win. Huge, huge game. 2015, Micah Kapoi stepped on Joel Stave's foot and yep. he tried still to get the ball to the Taiwan deal. They lost 10 to 6. Joe Schubert, fantastic in that game. 2016 was a win down in... Uh, in. Yeah, I got my answer. All right. Well, I'm just, I was trying to stall and go through yeah, all this off the top of my head, I which my I can, two, which I can continue to do if you'd like, but I'll let you step we're in. Good, we're good. My two moments, you just mentioned one, <laughs> the five turnover game where uh, Joel Stave tripped over Micah Kapoi at the goal line and Iowa went on to, I think, win the division that year. But the they, one went, that, they, they went unbeaten. They went unbeaten and then came oh, right that's down. Right. That was right a 22 down, drive Michigan State. Yes. Um. The one that stands out to me, I'm I'm wondering if it's the same one that stands out to you because way back when we used to be able to go down on the field with five minutes left in the game. I was mm. standing on the sideline and it really? was 20, I know what you're going. I know where you're going. 24 to 22 in a massive season for Wisconsin. Uh two teams in the top 20. Uh I was got a or Wisconsin's got a two-point lead. They go for two and Nate Stanley gets stuffed. And man, <laughs> you could hear that pop probably into the the upper deck. But being right there on the field and having an opportunity to kind of feel what this rivalry means and the physicality and the celebration that ensued on the sideline. I think that is the moment that stands out most to me now that uh, I had a couple minutes to, to think about it because it just embodied what the rivalry is. And obviously Wisconsin won that game and ended up going to the big 10 championship and playing in a Rose bowl, man, Chris Orr just, Oh, cracked him, cracked him. And, and, or he denies this, and that's fine. Um, but I thought he was out for a second because he was he he stayed down for a second or two before popping up. Either way, he that yeah, that was the that was the hardest, loudest hit I've seen on a field, on mm -hmm. field level, being down there. But oh, yeah. yeah, that 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 moment obviously is uh very much sticks out. 2017, where Iowa did not score an offensive touchdown. They scored on two pick sixes off of Alex Hornibrook, but they had the the fewest yards. In a Big Ten game for them, I, I maybe what game was that? The the Penn State game. They, I think they just barely got by that. It was the most their their yards against Penn State this year were the fewest since they had since the 2017 game against Wisconsin. So that one stands out as well. Yeah, uh, the last few have not been overly memorable for Wisconsin. I don't think. I mean, obviously they won in 2021, but 2020 and 2022 have, were not necessarily uh, things that will stand out for Wisconsin fans, but. Yeah, it's a, it's a good rivalry. It's a fun rivalry, and um, you know we'll see how it plays out on Saturday. Again, me and Jesse are going to be at 
Monks in Sun Prairie tomorrow night, Thursday nights from 6 to 7, doing our uh, Temple and Heilprint show. So come out, stop out, see us, watch the football, or listen to it uh, on The Zone, or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. I promise to have that up. I know some people were asking about it last week. We had some technical difficulties, but we'll have it up on Friday morning so you can listen to it if you don't hear it tomorrow night. Jesse, we'll talk then. Thank you very much. That's good. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.